This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. Um, just as, as a spirit leads. But, you know, identity is something quite important. You know, the more and more I just walk through the earth, the more I read, the more I like listen to people. One thing I realized is that a lot of people have what we call ident- an identity crisis. You know, it's not surprising when we find that in the world. But even among Christians, among people who are born again, we still find some people who don't exactly know who they are. So I just thought I would, you know, speak about that today. You know, it's something that is built from a young age. You know, every young person, you know, when, when they get to a, a point of um, enlightenment, they begin to ask themselves, who are you? Who am I? Why am I here? You know, for the first few years of their life, they, they ride on what maybe their parents tell them, their peers tell them, you know, how they should be. You know, there's a lot of like looking at others to, you know, for some validation, some sense of validation. All right. So society tells us what, what you should be. This is the weight you should be as a girl, for example. This is the amount of muscle mass you need to have. This is your height. Oh, you need to be six feet, five foot something. Or you need to be, you know, all of these things are the things that um, we have in our present world. And you have people who find a sense of identity in what they do, the clothes they wear, fashion. You know, there's some people that <laughs> that's where they're like, that's 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 me. I'm a Christian, but I'm a well dressed. I mean, you know, and slowly all these things um, erode into um, um, their their minds and all. So that's why I'm going to be speaking about that. You know, and it's very key. The truth is that there is no one who has done great things for God who didn't have a strong sense of identity. Not a single person, because you need to, it's something that everything comes out of that, out of that deep knowledge, a deep knowledge that didn't come from outside, something that was built from your closet, built from your personal life, all right? So as I said earlier, there's been no height of an identity crisis, like nowadays, you know, history has never, you know, and as time goes on, more and more, there will be a distinction between Christians who have a sense of identity and the rest of people who don't really have that. You know, First Corinthians 11 says something very instructive. It says, for there must also, it says there must, you know, also be heresies amongst you, that they which are approved may be made and manifest amongst you. You know, it says there must, must be heresies amongst you, such that they which are approved may be made manifest or obvious amongst you. All right, you know, the Amplified says this is the Amplified version of the Bible says, but doubtless there have to be factions amongst you so that those who are of approved character may be, may be clearly recognized. Praise God. So in a sense, there's, it's something ordained to occur, you know, that when, if people don't pay attention, there'll be a delineation, there'll be a distinction between people who really have that sense of identity versus, versus those who don't. Praise the Lord. And it's very important because that is one of the devil's primary schemes of derailing um, people's, let me say, people's, um, um, I don't like to use the word destiny, but you know you know what I mean, like just derailing people's um, 
um, vision and purpose in life. All right. So that's one of the his primary um, methods. The devil is hard at work. The Bible says he walks about like a roaring lion, to whom he may devour. You know, but asks us to be strong in our identity. Be strong in your position in Christ. Praise God. Ephesians 6 and 10, it says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, some versions of it, and in the strength of his might. It says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, the KJV says it as wiles, schemes, you know, strategies of the devil. Then it goes on to say, for we wrestle not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the of evil in the heavenly places. Praise God. So it says, when we put on the whole armor of God, we're able to withstand the schemes of the devil. You know, as it tries to distort our identity, we're able to withstand this. You know, the Bible says in John 15, verse 4, it says, I am the branch, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So those who remain, who are engrafted, who remain engrafted, both positionally and relationally, and even in the reality, they are, they are conscious of it. Those are the people who would bear fruit in these days. Praise God. So we said earlier that um, we should, you know, Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. What are these wiles? What are these, you know, another way to say it is, is schemes, tricks, subtleties, seductions, suggestions. Praise God. Let's give a quick example. Matthew 4, of such a while, of such a, such a scheme. Matthew 4, 1, this was when Jesus was tempted. Um, the Bible says, from verse 1, it says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said again, said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord. You know, I get on saying so many things, it's a long read, I wouldn't go into all of it. But the point in this is that what was the temptation? You know, sometimes we miss the point of this. I mean, it, you know, for instance, in the, in the three verses, um, in verse three, Jesus was tempted to turn rocks into bread, right? You know, in verse five and six, he was tempted to cast um, himself at the pinnacle of the temple and all of that. But what is the point here? He was, the devil was actually after Christ's identity, Jesus Christ's identity, praise God, you know. Because if you look at it closely, it says, if thou be the son of God, you know. So it was, in a way, trying to get Jesus to prove himself, all right, to prove himself. But Jesus was strong in his identity. You know, so it was like, if you know, I'm already the son of God. I don't need to prove that to you, all right? So that's that's one of the schemes. That's one of the wiles. That's one of the ways the devil can play with our minds, play with you know, our psyche, try to 
you know, give suggestions. If you are the son of God, do this. If, if you know, things like that. But the point of this is that this was after Jesus had fasted, 40 days, 40 nights. And he was still tempted in this way. Question, if Satan can attempt to sow seeds of doubt into a whole Jesus Christ's mind, just know that how much more us, all right? Just know that he's, going, he's surely going to try that on us as well. Praise the Lord. That's why Paul was very concerned that people understand understand their own identity. Amen. Um, in 2 Timothy verse 2, um, chapter 2, verse 1, you know, Timothy, um, Paul wrote a letter to his young protege, or um, better still, his mentee, Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, very young. He was, in a way, inexperienced and all of that. And Paul wrote a letter to him to, was mostly to, to mentor him, to, to, to have him build a strong identity. You know, he said many things that, I mean, Paul was in prison then, you know, he was undergoing a lot of hardship physically and all, but he was, he was encouraging um, Timothy. He was telling him the qualities he needs to thrive in this thing called ministry. See, Paul was, in a way, Paul was like a poet. He tried to paint pictures in Timothy's mind. You know, if you read um, 2 Timothy, um, 2 Timothy verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. This is him talking to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard amongst, um, heard of me amongst many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Notice that he says, he told him that in this journey you are going to go, you would endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, as a soldier. Then he continues, he says, No man that worries entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. He was talking about an athlete here. You know, the way when these athletes are preparing for maybe an Olympics or a sporting event, they, they strive for mastery. Praise the Lord. You know, then the next sentence says, The husband man that laborates must be first partaker of the fruits. All of these were just poetic ways Paul was trying to drive a message into um, Timothy's mind. You know, he used, illustrated it as a soldier, you know, as an athlete and as a farmer. And that was a distinct reason, but I won't go into all of that today. You know, I was trying to paint a picture because um, Bible scholars said Timothy was probably timid. I mean, he was young. You know, if you read um, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, um, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, where it says, for the God has not given the spirit of fear, but I think that was likely coming from that place because Timothy was, you know, like the ministry then, not even like nowadays, was something that you just need to be really strong in. You, what you, you need to know exactly what you're doing. So he said, he, he, he painted pictures in Timothy. He was just trying to help him. Praise the Lord. The thing is that when we know our identity in God, in Christ, it gives us confidence. It gives us some kind of, it just gives us confidence. It puts a, puts a wind in our sails. All right. So Paul was trying to guide Timothy. Paul was very big on identity. If you read the epistles, you see that Paul was extremely big on identity. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Welcome to Romans 1. In Romans 1, um, let me quickly read it. Let's see.
Romans 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of Christ, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Praise the Lord. See the introduction to his letter. This was the first part of his letter. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of Christ. Praise the Lord. Very instructive. Here, he's, he's, he identified himself in three different ways. He called himself, first of all, a, a servant. You know, a better rendering is a bond slave. All right? A bond slave is someone who, you know, after working for your master for a number of years, after a while, you, you can you buy your freedom, maybe 20 years or something. But some of them choose to still be with the master, and the master starts paying them wages. They don't want to go. They choose on their own that I want to just be with you, all right? Because after working for a number of years, you can buy your freedom. The master is obliged by the Lord to let you go. But he says, he is a born slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he described himself. Praise the Lord. Very stunning. You know, he said, he also called himself an apostle. Then he calls himself set apart for the gospel of God. Praise God. So this is how he would describe himself. How would we describe ourselves? What is on your bio? What is on your Instagram bio? Do you, you know, you have some people say, you know, very interesting things, you know, and it's not necessarily bad, but many times it points at where we see ourselves, our sense of identity. You know, for example, Paul could have said, I call um, the tent maker by excellent of. I mean, Paul was a tent maker, but he chose to identify himself this way. Praise the Lord. He had a very strong sense of his identity. Praise the Lord. You know, see what he wrote in Romans chapter 6. He said, um, you know, it begins, um, shall we continue in saying that grace may abound? God forbid. How that we, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. You know, he's describing the state of the new man, praise the Lord, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Very descriptive. Amen. Then he continues, he says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Over him. For in that he died, he died unto the sin once, but in that he lives, he liveth unto God. Praise God. Then you, you know, I mean, maybe in our future we can read this um, beautiful passage. But he was very strong in his identity. See things he was saying, talking about us, the state of man. Do you know, right in his letter to the Romans, to the Roman church, praise the Lord. But was Paul always like this? No. Paul was not always someone who would describe himself that way. You know, that's a born slave of Jesus Christ and, you know, set apart for the gospel and all of that. No, it wasn't like that. Hear what he himself said in Philippians 3, you know, prior to his conversion. He says, although, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if any man has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Then he went on to start talking about his CV, his resume. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
as to the law a Pharisee, as to the zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law found dimness. You know, this was his previous identity. That's why it was, you know, that's the force with which he was using to persecute the church. That was his previous identity. But Paul had a, a, an evolution. You know, if you read the following verse, it says, But whatsoever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Hallelujah. Something changed. It, he no longer began to see himself in those ways. His identity changed. Praise the Lord. Then he continues, he says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Hallelujah. I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Praise the Lord. This was Paul. It changed. It was someone, he says, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. Like it's like someone saying, you know, I have 15 degrees, I'm a professor of this thing, LLB, MPH, MD, this like, you know, like he had all of these things. But he said, I count those things but dung, but rubbish. Hallelujah. To get this for the surpassing, um, how does he even say so? I don't, I just assume, but he says, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ Jesus, my Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's look at someone else before we begin to pray shortly. Someone else, someone else who had a strong sense of identity. That was Jesus. In fact, to me, that's one of the most remarkable things about Jesus. You know, when you hear him speak, this man was an enigma. He was, he was something else. You know, from a little kid, he knew who, who he was. Bible says in Luke 2, we all know the story. You know, was told, Bible says in Luke 2, verse chapter 42. I'm um, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. That's him, his father, and his mother. After the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, and as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him amongst their king's folk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowly. And he said unto them, Interesting, says, How is it that you sought me? We see not that I must be about my father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spoke to them. You know, and the Bible says he went down with them and came to Jerusalem. And much later, the Bible says his mother kept all these things in their hearts because it's strange. You don't find 12-year-olds discussing with the theologians of 50 years, 70 years, 60 years. Jesus knew who he was from a young age, from age 12 as an adolescent, a strong sense of identity, praise the Lord. And he didn't lose that as he grew older. You know, in fact, it became more. He began to say very remarkable things. You know, in John 14 verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you know what that means? You know, especially to those people of that age. Like, there are some things he said, you know, that it made people's 
bellies want to turn. You know, in John 8, verse 58, it says, Jesus, Jesus said unto them, He says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham or Abraham was, I am. And they recognized that. It says, the Bible says, therefore, they picked up stones to throw, to throw at him. Like you must be mad. You don't talk like that. Abraham, someone who they almost deified. You know, he said the same thing in John 10, 30. He says, I am the father of one. You and God, God the father. You know, same thing. The Bible says the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Praise the Lord. He knew who he was. You know, he had a strong sense of identity that nothing could shake. You know, he didn't need to prove it like we read in, in his temptations, you know, by the devil. He didn't need to prove it or anything. But that was a firm bedrock. You know, one evening, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And then he saw, the Bible says, a sudden violent storm enveloped them. You know, high waves filled the boat and all that. And they were terrified. They were like, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we, we perish? And the Bible says he arose and rebuked the storm. You know, and the sea calmed right away. And the terrified disciples said amongst them, he says, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. What kind of man is that? The answer is a man who knew his own identity. Praise the Lord. They had never seen anyone act with such fearlessness, act with such courage, with such authority. I mean, he was sleeping and he woke up. Amen. You know, Bible says even when Jesus taught in the temple, the Bible says he taught as one having authority. Look at it. Look at it later in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. I mean, the scribes were letter, they knew the Torah beginning to end, but it was different. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says, the, the apostle says, who is this man? In the Greek text, it reads, who then is this one? They couldn't understand. Praise the Lord. You know, um, I'm reminded of, you know, Jesus' encounter with Peter, you know, when he was asking his disciples, who do people say I am? Then Peter, you know, when Peter said who he was, he agreed, yeah, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. You know, Peter said, you are the son. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he endorsed it, said yes. I'm sure that if he was in um, contemporary parlance, you would have maybe given him a thumbs up. All right. So Jesus knew he, who he was and he articulated his identity very clearly. He never shied away from it. You know, there are some verses that theologians call the I am verses, particularly in John. All of them are found in John, you know, because he, he said many things. I am this, I am that. You know, in John 6, 35, says, I am the bread of life. You know, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. Praise the Lord. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, things like I am the way, the truth and the life. Who who talks like that? I am the true vine. He knew who he was. Hallelujah. You know, one of the key ways you know someone who is strong in his identity is to listen to them speak. Amen. When they speak, there's a difference. You know, it's easy to just say things. But when you know who you are, the, the way you speak about circumstances changes. There's an interesting story in John 5. It always makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, this was when they, were, they wanted to go arrest him. The Bible says John 5, um, the authorities sent soldiers to go arrest Jesus. John, 5, John 7, 45. The Bible says, when the officers who had been sent by the chief priests and Pharisees to take the Lord Jesus into custody returned with, without him. You know, they wanted to go catch him, but they, they, they couldn't catch him. So he says, when they returned without him, they gave... Um, John 7, 45. 
Yeah, it says, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said, to, said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Then the officers answered, He says, Never man spoke like this man. You know, never man spoke like this. Imagine you went to capture someone, like as soldiers, and they went and they couldn't, because they heard the way he was speaking, and they were like, This is not ordinary. He says, Never man spoke like this. Praise God. You know, so that's Christianese, that's the way you can speak, you know, just. What you know, but there's there's a force of reality. There's a force backed by a real identity. Praise the Lord. Let's just at this juncture, just go ahead and speak. Speak the things we've seen in the New Testament about ourselves. Let's speak in a way that you yourself hear it with your own ears. Just confess God. Just confess first of all. You know, we'll continue later, but just speak about who you are. Praise the Lord. Oh, I am the head and not the tail. Oh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, I win and win. Oh, I'm a city set on the hill. I cannot be healed. Oh, but she will talk to me. I'm a shield of God. I know who I am. Oh, I have a strong sense of identity. Oh, she will be God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, um, we just still have a few things to unpack. So I just thought I would, you know, interrupt us a little bit, but we'll still pray again shortly. You know, but we, we've been confessing, you know, we've been speaking about our identity, being strong in our identity. You know, we said that no one who has done great things, everyone who has done great things, has always had a strong sense of identity. But where did we get this identity from? Let's open to John 1. John 1 chapter, um, John chapter 1 verse 12. I'll just read it to save time. The Bible says, as many as, a, as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Praise God. Next verse, it says, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice what he says, as many as received him, to, give, to then give power to become the sons of God. So even before we get to the end of this, one of the real main reasons we're able to have this boldness, this strong sense of identity is because of who we are as sons of God. Praise the Lord. Our identity is based on the fact that we are born of God. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if anyone has told you, we are not ordinary. We are not ordinary. We are really not ordinary. We are born of God. We have the seed of God, the sperma of God on our inside. You know, you are not who you are. Your identity is not, you are not who you are because of what you do. You are who you are because of your birth, all right? You are who you are because of your nature, because of your seed, because of what gave birth to you. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 3 and 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth not us, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Hallelujah, we are the sons of God. We can say to ourselves, right now I am the son of God. In continuous says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we, but we know that when we shall see, when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children of God. You have God's DNA on your inside. Praise the Lord, it lives in you. In fact, it's a bit more than that. You know, when I read, when I read first, if you read First Corinthians 6 and 17, he says it in a very unique way, especially when you look into the Greek rendering. First Corinthians 6 and 11, he says, but he that is joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. Praise the Lord. He says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, if you look at that closely, the, the Greek expression for that is, is 
coagulated with him. God and man, God's spirit is coagulated with our spirit at the new birth. You know, if you want to bake a cake, you have um, a, you have your butter, you have um, sugar, you have flour and all of that. Before you bake the cake, before you make the dough, you have those, all those ingredients, you arrange them. But after kneading all those ingredients together, some people add milk and all of that, you put it into the oven and you get the cake. At that moment, you can't say, oh, I want the sugar out of this cake anymore. It's already mixed with the cake. You can't take it. It's already coagulated with the cake. That's what God did when he came on our inside. We are eternally joined with him. The Bible says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. You have God's DNA on your inside. You know, for that reason, we share in a lot of his experience. we sh- experiences. We share in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Praise the Lord. Romans 6 and 4, you know, reading from the Amplified Version, he says, We therefore being buried, uh, we, we have therefore been buried with him through baptism unto death. So that just as Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk, we too might walk up the newness of life. Praise the Lord. So we were we died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him. Praise the Lord. This is our identity. You know, Colossians 3 and 3 says, For you are dead. And your life is here. Praise the Lord. So that is who you are. You know, whatever you do professionally, yeah, those are the things you do. Just, just the same way Paul was a tent maker. He never described himself that way. Remember what we said in Romans 1? He described himself as a born slave of God. You know, born servants. Praise the Lord. So that is who you are as well. That is your identity. Your identity is intrinsically linked with Christ. You have a marriage with him right now. You know, that's why it says in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, um, but Christ lives in me and all of that. We've been crucified with him. So your identity is mingled with Christ. Hallelujah. So we hang on the shirt tails of God, you know, and it gives us our identity. You know, in Colossians 3 and 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Praise the Lord. It says, He is our life is our life you know everything about us is about this reality we have no sense of individuality again i mean we are we are different we have different but he it's, he uses different personalities the way he does so before we ever get to ourselves it is christ you first meet praise the lord that is our identity praise the lord you know he's our life he's our light you know john one and nine says of jesus he says that was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. You know, the KJV, I think the KJV says, that was the true light which lighted every man that comes into the world. You know, um, John 8 and 11 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You have the light of life when you follow him. We reflect his light. Praise the Lord. So these are the things that we are. We are new creatures. We are the righteousness of God. Everything about us is because of him. So, since we have God's life on our inside, you know, one thing that, from experience, from just listening to other people, and one thing that plagues Christian, Christians is that we forget. A lot of times we forget. And that's one of the reasons you need to come for things like this, prayer meetings like this, church services, listen to sermons, because naturally humans have a, a, a propensity to forget. You know, we forget who we are. We need to refresh our minds, you know, by doing some of these things. 
you know, in a, a better New Testament to say that is we need to renew our minds, praise the Lord, because we tend to forget. You know, James 1, 22 and 25, and 22 to 25 says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But if any man, if any be a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way, and straight away forgeteth what manner of man he was. We forget. You know, just because you read the Bible, you read some scriptures, you confessed two weeks ago, doesn't mean you need to do it again. It's a constant, it's a constant, um, um, constant um, exercise. Praise the Lord. All right, that's why we come for these meetings. That's why we pray. Some things you may have heard it before, but you hear it again. You know, the manner of the Old Testament was still by the next day. You hear it again afresh. Praise the Lord. You know, in John, First John five and thirteen, it says, "These things I have written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God." You know, it was John was writing to the church, people who are saved. He says. I'm writing these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the Son of God. Praise the Lord. Let's just give God glory. Let's, let's just pray. Um, I prepare some of these things for the next couple of minutes before com- coming back. Just, just thank Him for this opportunity. Thank Him. Renew your mind that you won't forget who you are, that you won't forget your identity in Christ. Renew your mind that you won't behold yourself in the mirror of the world and go away forgetting what manner of man you are. Oh, speak to him, speak to him. Oh, oh I need to forget who you are. I have so, so we're we are sons of God, joint heirs with Christ. We've been mingled, intermingled with God. Is we can't separate us anymore. He dwells on our inside. Praise the Lord. That's who you are. You know, if you make, if you go out in the street and someone tells you you're a son of God, don't don't be humble. Don't you say yes? That's who you are. You know, better say you can say flesh and blood has not revealed that to you Hallelujah. because you are correct. It's who you are. Praise the Lord. That's who we are. You know, we, as we go across this, we have different things, different ventures to put food on the table, different career paths which are good. But never think that is who you are. Never reduce yourself to oh the fashionista, the the. The bookworm, the this, the that, you have this degree. It's just how legitimate stuff are fine. But remember who you are. You know, you are you are much more what what you have on your inside is much more glorious than that. I don't remember who said it. Was it Smith Wiggles? What it says, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside and on the outside. But you will know if you don't pay attention. Hallelujah. Have a strong sense of identity. Praise the Lord. Have a strong sense of identity. As we begin to close, I just want to, you know, as we said earlier. I mentioned how we forget these things and we need to refresh ourselves. We forget these things. But I'll just highlight one of the strategies of the devil, you know, using the story of Daniel to, so that we are just a bit more equipped, a bit more informed, and then we'll close. You know, and I'll be um, speaking from Daniel 1, um, chapter 1, verse 3. You know, when the devil wants to distort a Christian's identity, many times it cannot go directly. Praise the Lord. It begins with isolation. You know, if you read Daniel 1, the Bible says, and the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that's one of his, like, um, servants. It says that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So the king told them to bring those people. All right. You know, when the devil wants to distort identity he try, finds ways to have to isolate us from the word isolate us from other believers to isolate us that's what this guy did the king then he, he, he told he told him to bring them out praise the lord he asked them to bring certain all those people out of it praise the lord 
you know, it, it took the best of them. So that's the first step. The second step, you know, and this is also similar to even the the um, temptation of Adam and Eve. If you recall, Jesus had, um, God had given them an instruction and all of that. I'm sure when the serpent was going to meet them, they must just know I've been around in fellowship. They were distracted. They were away. That's usually the first step. Praise the Lord. But it goes beyond that. It continues by indoctrination. You know, if you read verse 4 of Daniel 1, it says, and to teach them the literature and language of Chaldeans. Amen. You know, Daniel and his friends, after bringing them out, they began to immerse them in the culture of Babylon. You know, they would have taught them their own different things. Oh, this is our own creation story. This is our, this is our salvation story. This is our, own, this is our own way of commerce, our own way of war. You know, it, it continues by subtle indoctrination, just in life. Sometimes it's, it's just the news we read, you listen to. Sometimes it's the show. Sometimes it's just subtle stuff. Oh, you are this way. You're, you're, you're this, you're that. Oh, you're actually a great writer or you're a great this, you're a great that. And you begin to build your identity. You begin to see, you know, what you're, what you are not in those. You begin to not put them where they are, you know, in the proper compartment that they are at. You know, it's just like, um, you know, let me not say much beyond that. So it, it continues by indoctrination. After being separated from the word and fellowship, you begin to get subtle suggestions. That's the number two strategy of the devil. And it happened with um, um, Eve as well. If you recall Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the species of the field. Um, with, sorry, of the, of the beasts of the field with the Lord God had made. And she, he said to the woman, Has God said you should not eat of the tree of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, neither shall you touch it. And the serpent said, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God, blah, blah, blah. Um, sorry, I shall be as God. You know, he was teaching an alternative reality, different from what she had experienced. Praise the Lord. That's the second step. The next step is, it is driven by indulgence. If you, if you look at Daniel, um, the story of Daniel, after separating those people, trying to teach them different things, the Bible says he began to feed them. He assigned a daily portion of choice food, good food, and wine. Praise the Lord. There were even, I, when I was studying this a little bit, there were some meals that they were not even supposed to eat as Jews, like they are forbidden. But he made them eat some of these meals, praise the Lord, just to make them comfortable. You know, maybe comfortable with the title. Now you've arrived, you've been promoted, you're now the CEO of something. You know, you begin to see yourself that way. No, you are not. That's just a, it's just an opportunity for, you know, just, it's just a platform. Praise the Lord. And the same thing happened in, um, you know, if you notice that I'm using parallels between that and even Genesis. The same thing happened because if you notice, the Bible says of Eve, and when this woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof. Praise the Lord, you know, driven by indulgence. And finally, it ends in identification, a false identification. Praise the Lord. If you read Daniel chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says the chief Enoch, after doing all of this, he eventually gave them a name. If you know in Bible times, a name is something very serious. You don't just confer people names. It carries with it an authority, an identity. That's where it ends. Praise the Lord. You know, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they sinned. They got a new name. They became sinners. Praise the Lord. 
then they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves. It, something had changed, praise the Lord. So that's just how it is. That, I just um, wanted to highlight this to show us the subtle ways that the devil, you know, tries to um, change our identity, tries to influence us through his schemes, through his wiles. But if you notice something, from the first step, if you never leave the first step, you have no problem. The first step, if you remember what I said, is it begins with isolation. Isolation from the word. Isolation from fellowship. If you're always in the word, you have no problem. Praise the Lord. You would always know who you are. You will flourish. You would, you would flourish. You would, you would be strong. You will be distracted. 